0: Well, we started the year l- last week with a vision, and uh, we're going to press into some things today, and, uh, you know, we, we've got a, a big God, and I, I'll tell you, when Claire and I, when we started believing last year uh, for Mission Promise, and we, we began putting uh, an amount uh, at the start of the year that we were believing for, we... Uh, we, we were doing it at a time when we didn't have a lot of money. And yet, we've seen 10 out of the 12 months we saw the supply <laughs> additional to what we had. And I think that's, th- that's exciting when that happens. You know, Mission Promise is not just about dig, dig deeper and deeper into your pockets because the church needs more money. No, it's a great opportunity to see God do some extraordinary things. And I, I was reading through, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but just here's a, a throwaway. When Jacob went to work for his father in law, he just had an encounter with God. And in that encounter with God, uh, he, see, he sees heaven and earth, and he sees the ladder extending. If you read through Genesis, he, he says at the end of it, he says, The Lord says, I'm going to bless you. And Jacob goes, In that case, I'm going to give you 10%. And the first thing he runs into is the guy deceiving him over his wages and mucking him around. And do you know what? I just realised that's something for us for today. If you're in a place where your salary is really naff, you're getting manipulated, all your things are getting moved around, shifts getting changed, you need to take hold of what Jacob did and speak to your situation that you are blessed because Jacob got strategy how to turn manipulation into success for himself. Because God showed him what to do. So at the start of this year, make a decision. Poverty doesn't rule your family doesn't rule your bank account. It doesn't rule your giving. But you are blessed by the Lord and that he is going to give you the strategy to see your income multiplying when everyone else's is failing around you. Jacob saw his father-in-law change his salaries twice, manipulate, trying to control. It cost him, he says, even every time one of your animals died, I paid for it but he still became richer than his father-in-law that he worked for. Come on, that's that's a word of prophecy for some of you guys for this year. Take hold of God's plans and promises for yourselves. Because we're getting into a year where we're just going to see the wonders of God. How can God take an ordinary person and just do extraordinary things in them and through them? Well, because he's the God of wonders. He's the God of wonders. So we're going to get into that uh, today. So that theme for 2006 is the wonder of who He is and the wonder of who we are. And you know, as we're starting that year, we're going to look a lot at uh, the Jesus that's revealed to us by John, John's Gospel. It's, uh, it's different. There's, you know, these four gospels, let me just give you a bit of an insight. You know, the four gospels are written in a very different way. Those four gospels, Matthew, it's written to Jews, it's written to those who think they're spiritual, who, who understand something, but yet needed a revelation. This Jesus who you've missed, he's the Messiah. Whoops. It unfolds historically who Jesus is. Mark, or you could call it Peter's gospel, really, because Mark wrote down all the things that Peter told him. It's written to the Romans. It's written to a a bunch of action men. They were the commandos of the day. They were the go-getters. They were the nation changing everyone. And so Jesus, the man of action, instantly, now, he's going for it. But then we have Luke. Luke's the doctor. So he writes a systematic, investigated account because that's what doctors do, don't they? They don't just go for a quick cure solution without checking and testing that it really works. Doctors make sure that what they're giving you has been well tested and make sure that it's really going to do the job. So Luke's gospel goes into all the genealogy and details and all the things, and he really goes into the details. Written to Greeks. Three different types of people. John's Gospel is completely different. John's Gospel is a preacher's Gospel. He, he ignores genealogies. He ignores a historic account. He doesn't try to go from Jesus' birth through to Jesus' death. In fact... He mixes things around. He does what most of us do. When you want to get a point across, you talk about this situation, that situation, and you pull them together to talk about here. So John's Gospel, if you look at it in the same way as you look at the other Gospels, you won't understand the Gospel of John. It's not in the right order. In fact, we have... uh, Basically, we've got the Gospel, uh, chapters 1 to 11, talk about and define Jesus' ministry. So, four... uh, Sorry, uh, those 11 chapters. And then we have chapters 12 to 20 cover one week of Jesus' ministry. So, half of John's Gospel is about one week of, of time. The rest of it jumbles time around. Interesting. And then... Chapter 21 is about the plan forward. And different, just resets things. Where are we going? Commissioning Peter, setting out some of the plans. And as, as we look at these things, we have an understanding. Because, you know, uh, Matthew's Gospel's written about 50 to 65 AD, uh, from Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. And uh, then we've got uh, uh, Luke in 5960's doctor's account. And then we've got Mark in 65-70 Peter's account and then 10 years later from that about 85 to 90 we're not 100% sure John's gospel's written but it's written with one purpose in the other gospels Jesus is slowly revealed to be God John he's got a totally different mindset In the beginning, boom, was God, the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And it's just like, straight in your faces, this Jesus is God. Wow. So John's Gospel, it says actually in in, uh, in verse uh, uh, 10, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 10 to 12, he says, It's written that people may believe in him and so receive eternal life. He's up front. He's a preacher. He's not giving you some historical background, he's putting it straight between the eyes. You need to know this Jesus because he's got something for you. This Jesus, he's exceptional. He's extraordinary. He's a sign and a wonder to each one of us. Wow. And so we're going to look at that. You know, as, uh, as, as we pick up the events of Jesus' life and the, uh, the key themes, John starts with some really clear things. Seven I Am statements... Seven miracles and seven sermons. Now, he likes the number seven, obviously. Seven I am statements. But all of those things, all of those things, just point to glorifying Jesus. This Jesus. And so we're going to look at each of these signs, each of these miracles, these seven signs, these seven wonders. And we're going to start with the first one, which is turning water into wine. Wow, what, what an extraordinary thing. The very first miracle that we read about in John, uh, John 2. And if you, uh, We're just going to just have a quick look at this. So turn to John chapter 2, and I'm going to start at verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. Thus he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. This is kind of a bit weird. You know, know, is it a a social disaster, you know, to to run out of wine? You know, the wedding, I mean, we're not talking just a, a, a short uh, one-hour celebration kind of reception at the end of a wedding. We're talking about a feast that goes on for a bit of time. And uh, so you can imagine there's quite a bit of wine around. And, uh, you know, when we just think about their activities, or we think about why was this so significant, why, of all things, would John's Gospel start... With the first miracle he talks about, and he, he, bearing in mind he's only talking about a few parts out of Jesus' whole story, out of Jesus' whole ministry, why would he focus on wine? I mean, who wants to get drunk? We don't. We teach people not to get drunk. We teach people to abstain or to at least control it. We, uh, we. Uh, we frown in some circles on this. Christians drinking. You know, it's like, ooh, you know, almost committed murder in some eyes. And yet here we are, the first miracle of Jesus is wine. And it's quite clear from the setting, he's not made grape juice. Let's just the master of ceremonies—he's talking about people getting drunk, and he says, "You've chosen good wine. You've made amazing wine. In fact, it's the best stuff I've had." So you don't—you don't fool someone. Al- non-alcoholic wine just tastes foul. We—we we need to look at some of the things that's in here and begin to see the miracle that was happening. And uh, we're just going to unpack that a little bit here, and just uh, just a few points. So, uh, Jesus and his disciples are invited to the wedding. Mary, his mother, is at the wedding. It's possible that it was family. Uh, we don't really have enough details to say stuff like that. I've read some commentaries making comments like that, which is why Mary, his mother, intervened because it was a family disaster, and she's trying to solve it. Uh, so, uh, you know, as you read through commentaries, people will make those kind of comments. But the reality is, if, if, if you've got the Son of God, and you know who he is, sat beside you, aren't you going to intervene and try and get some action happening? Um, but whether or not it's family, we, we haven't got a clue. But it's, it's, it's clear from these passages that Mary expected something from Jesus. Jesus just got baptised. So there's something powerful that's just happened in the sight of the public. Up till now, Jesus has been out of sight in terms of his ministry. There's been none. He gets baptised. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And that's what we read about in the previous chapter in John 1. John sets out who this Jesus is. That he is the Word made flesh. That he is God come, the light of life, come right into the world. And it says that people didn't understand who he was. But Jesus' mum knew who he was. Mary understood. She'd grown up, or watched him grow up with those promises. she had watched her son not sinning. Wow. Can you imagine that? I mean, I just know what I was like. And Jonathan already talked about what he was like when he was here. But I know my kids, and there's not one of them, even though they're given the life to the Lord, got filled with the Spirit, and all kinds of things happened, not one of them was perfect, except in God's sight. And yet, she's watched her son grow up perfect. Not just outwardly perfect, but heart-perfect as well that's outstanding. You know, you watch someone. You know, you see them doing a really good job. You start paying attention to them, don't you? But you pay attention when they keep on doing everything exactly right. It's like they they already know what you want them to do. Wouldn't that be nice, parents, if our kids actually knew what we wanted them to do and did it? (laughs) Ahead of time. Well, Jesus must have been doing that. Because he didn't sin. Hmm. Okay, all right, forget it. I thought it was good when I was reading that. I was looking at it thinking, yeah. But then he says, woman, he doesn't call her mother. And sometimes you have to look at the scriptures and kind of understand something that's going on. What we understand from scripture and from reading around is Joseph must have died sometime before now, before Jesus' ministry started. Because what we read at the crucifixion and what we read here Jesus is the head of his household because he doesn't call her mother which he would have had to have done as a son he calls her woman, in other words she was under his authority and her actions, her words compound or um, agree with that what she does next because she says whatever he says, do She's not just referring to him as the son of God, the spiritual leader. In the household, she is obviously having to submit to him as the head of the household. At the crucifixion, we read about this in uh, John 20-ish. I can't remember where it is. Uh, Jesus, on, the crucif- on on the cross, looks down and says, Woman... See your son, to John. John, see your mother. He puts his mother into the hands of John, the disciple who wrote this gospel, as for him to look after and be responsible. That means Joseph's gone. Because Jesus would not have had the authority to have done that. So he didn't hand her over to his brothers. He handed her over to his disciple he loved, for him to care for his mother he had authority to do that not as the son of God but as the son of his father because sons look after their mothers when the father's dead yeah sometimes you have to kind of read through this and just kind of see a little bit what's going on so Mary doesn't argue with her son there's no conflict in this household when she is getting him involved. He said, what's this to us? You you know, you're trying to make this our responsibility. And he says, what's this to us, woman? As in, why are we getting involved? But she's like, she exercises faith. Whatever he says, do it. She speaks to the servants. Whatever he says, do it. She sets up the miracle. That's a good sign for us. Do you know the things that God is waiting for us to set up the miracle for? He just waits for us to release words of faith for miracles to begin to happen. He's waiting for someone who'll begin the process. So There's, a, there's words for, the, for us here. So what does he do? He, uh, he takes, he looks out, what's available? Stone jars. Now, stone... Jars were quite important. It wasn't just any old jar. The, the stone, if they'd been pewter or been anything else, there wouldn't have been ceremonially clean jars. There had to be stone to be ceremonial clean for the water to be used for the washing. Okay? So it took a vessel pre-prepared and clean, holy, and he says to them, fill them back up. In other words, they've been filled and they've been used. Jesus doesn't say, use that. He says, fill them afresh. And there's something of that for us today. It doesn't matter that we've been set aside and we've been filled. God wants to do new things and that requires us full to the brim, ready and overflowing before he starts to do miracles. We need to be ready and don't just depend on what we had yesterday. WHBC Daily, speak those confessions, declare them. I got excited this week about those confessions. I love these declarations. They're exciting. If you haven't seen it, go to WHBC app. Go to the website whbcmanchester.com forward slash WHC Daily or go to the church app. All right? So because you need to speak, and you need to be filling up with the things that God's got. So we see him taking these jars. They had to be refilled with water. They're for the ceremonial cleaning. Those servants knew exactly what was in the jars. In those ceremonial things was water. If you read it, it says that they took the water out of those ceremonial jars. And this is a little bit of of what we see. You and I, sometimes we think what comes out of us is still water. You see, sometimes we, we have the word and we're speaking things or we're, we're going into people's lives and, and we're full, but it, to us it's just water. When those servants drew it out and took it to the master of the feast, that's where the miracle happened. It was still water in the jars. Read the account. Okay? Okay? It didn't become wine in the jars. When it was taken out to be served, that's where the miracle happened. And Jesus didn't touch it. He didn't invoke some special words. He didn't lay his hands on it. He didn't do any kind of magic. Some people try to past these things, he he slipped something in there or whatever. He didn't even get to touch it. They took it from the jar to the master without Jesus touching it. Wow. And can you imagine the fear and trembling? You're going to serve the master of ceremonies. You're a slave. You are a nobody. And you're going to take the boss of the party a glass of water. Can you imagine what they were... It looks like water. It is water. Oh, my goodness. And you hand it to the person. And they drink, and it's wine. Wow. Can you just see how much that is symbolic We give people the words. We touch people with the life of Christ. And to us, it's like, oh my goodness, fear and trembling. What am I doing? How is this going to work? And they get hit with peace, love, joy. Their body gets healed. Their mind gets set free. Things happen when we put Jesus at the forefront. When we put Jesus before everything else that's going on. They taste the difference. They don't taste water. They don't taste ordinary. They taste something extraordinary that intoxicates them, that affects them. You know, water's nice, but you have a glass of wine, you will know about it. Okay? It doesn't have to be very strong for it to affect you. Okay? You do know the difference between water and wine. is a very simple thing. H2O, with a couple of bits of minerals from wherever the water flowed. As opposed to wine, where it is completely different context, a different substance. It's, there's, not, there's hardly any overlap. So when we're looking at these, we see these spiritual principles. One, get it filled first before you look for the miracle. Jesus wants to fill us. He wants us full to the brim. And the miracle happened as those servants went forward, and they did what they were told to do. Jesus gives us a command, go into all the world and preach and teach. But he doesn't say that. He says, and make disciples. And if you want an idea of what a disciple is, read beforehand about disciples, Jesus' first disciples. It says here uh, in uh, verse 35, John the Baptist was there with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And the disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus, turning around. Jesus saw them following, and he said, what do you want? And they said, where are you staying? A disciple (laughs) is not someone who follows a teacher it's someone who lives with a teacher who lives with a master who puts their whole life on hold to walk with the one teaching, training them They, they don't go back home anymore they stay, that's why where are you staying was so significant where is Jesus staying and where are you at is he so in control of your life, so the one who decides your priorities, your vision and your plan, that everything else can begin to happen. Because those disciples were then there when he did the miracle. Those disciples watched that miracle because it says at the end of the bit I have read at first, uh, in verse 11, it says, his disciples put their faith in him, if you really want to put it, at a whole new level than they had already. They, They already were. Because if you read through John 1, they've already begun to declare, you're the Messiah, you're the King of Israel, you're God. You're right at the start, whether it was uh, Andrew getting Peter, or Andrew and John, because they were those two disciples. Andrew and John were those two disciples that followed Jesus right at the start. Those two disciples I've just mentioned, those of John's, they weren't, they followed Jesus. They were with him when he began to do the miracles. They saw him. But they already, if you read through John 1, they saw the Messiah already. But a whole new level. You see, in the beginning was the word. That's what John says at the start of his gospel and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is what this miracle is all about. He is God. He existed, as you read through that first chapter, he said, he existed before time began. He is the one who brought everything into being. And he came to live among us, and he's doing exactly that. He's taking something that is nothing and making extraordinary out of it. He made man out of the dust, and he made wine out of water. He is creator God. This is what John is saying. He's saying, this Jesus that I'm telling you about, He is your creator. He is your miracle worker. He is the one who does the impossible. This is who to put your faith in because this is who gives eternal life. The one who does the outrageous, the extraordinary is right here in your midst. Do you recognize him? Do you see him? Will you put your trust in him? That's who this Jesus is. You see, he came to live among us, and the wine had run out, the natural, the old wine, everything that was pre-prepared and pre-planned and and worked out, it had run out. It's symbolic of of the law. It covered man's sins, that's what it, the Jews were, were set apart, blessed by God, that we might be jealous of what they had. That we might realize God can use them. What about us? If He can take one person and make a an whole nation, if He can make that nation blessed when they're weak and they don't really have the fighting power, they're not some superpower. If He can bless them so that they become richer than every other nation on the ground. What can he do for us? But that law, it never changed hearts. So the Jews kept turning away. They kept failing. Something brand new at a whole new level was required and needed. We needed a heart exchange program a new heart. The new wine that Jesus created was to take your and my heart and put his heart in there instead. To replace. To bring ordinary to extraordinary. To make something outrageous overflow, affect people, intoxicate people. The love of Christ was poured into our hearts and it changed us. We got born again and we began to love the way God loves. To love those who deserve nothing. Because we realize we were nothing, plain water, but he changed us and made us wine. He made us exciting, vibrant. Wine speaks of the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of the power of God in you and me. And today, as we're looking at Jesus, looking at him at the start of this year, looking ahead of a year that God has pre-planned, determined, and set up for us, that's what it says in Ephesians 2, good works prepared in advance for you and me to do, oh, we're not going to do it from empty. We're going to respond to the Lord right now. Fill me afresh. Holy Spirit, come and fill me afresh. We're going to... Get before God this morning. We're going to respond to him because I don't want to operate from half full. I don't want to operate with what was good. I want to operate today in a fresh new level. So let's stand. Let's begin to respond to God. The new has come. There's a new covenant. The power of God revealed in you and me. Ordinary, becoming extraordinary. The Holy Spirit wants to just completely fill lives today. Take over. When you, people are on, have drunk too much wine, they hardly know what they're doing. That's why when the Holy Spirit filled those disciples at Pentecost, people thought they were drunk. They were all over the place. They were speaking stuff that didn't make sense to non-spiritual ears. Holy Spirit, fill us. We present ourselves to you. In the next part of that chapter, Jesus clears the temple out because this is the new that's needing to come in. He says, I'm the temple. You destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Symbolic. The old's gone. The old physical temple has been replaced by a temple in the hearts of men and women. So let's just present. Let's lift up your hands. Holy Spirit, we present our bodies to you. Vessels, stone vessels, consecrated vessels, consecrated bodies, we give you our entire being because we want you to fill us holy spirit holy spirit for fill transform us share the good of you, Baptize us afresh, Holy Spirit. I don't want to operate from half. I don't want to operate from three quarters. I want to be overflowing. Fill me afresh. Fill me afresh, Lord. Breath of God, just come and fill. Come and fill. Come and fill us. In Jesus' name, Jesus, Jesus, come on, just, just begin. If you're being filled with the Spirit, you pray in tongues. Just begin to pray in tongues. Just begin to let Him fill you up from the inside. If you don't pray in tongues, that you. Haven't prayed in tongues yet, or you've given up praying in tongues, and you need to be released in tongues. I want you to just come forward, come up the front, because you need the Holy Spirit, you need the power of God. Come and be filled afresh. So if you can't pray in tongues or struggling, I invite you just come forward. Come forward. If you don't. That dry, there's just, oh Lord, there's just, I don't feel full. Just reach out to Him. Just reach out. Worship team are just going to begin to play. And as we worship, the Holy Spirit is going to fill people. It's going to fill you. That's the promise. How much more Will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask, receive. Ask and receive. Ask. Holy Spirit, blow across this place. Blow. Blow. If you haven't given your life to the Lord, this is the great opportunity that Jesus... And another feast, he stood up and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. That anyone really means anyone. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter whether you've got your life together as far as you're concerned or whether it's fallen apart and you've wrecked it or whether others have wrecked it for you. He says, if you're thirsty, come If you're thirsty, I will give you the water of life. Water that becomes supernatural, becomes a well within you. And it's simple. You just invite him to come in, to live, to to dwell with you, to take over, to be your Lord. To forgive you. And not just forgive you, but to then give you everything of himself. To actually, it's exchange of your heart for his. New desires, new longings, new understanding, a new relationship with God himself. Jesus living inside you. Not some distant, far off God that you hope would listen to your prayers but the one who actually talks to you who shows you things that's the invitation that's what it means to be born again of the spirit and i'm just going to pray and lead you and you just pray this with me first time maybe or maybe it's a recommitment because you've moved away from that relationship with God and is not really the person that you're staying with just pray Heavenly Father I recognize I've lived life without you and today I want to live with you I recognize Jesus crucified risen from the dead again and ascended and that's who I'm putting my trust in On what he's done for me that when he died on that cross I died so Jesus I give you my life and I want you to give me your life Holy Spirit I'm asking you to make this real in my life to come and fill me to explain the gospel to me to help me to understand everything I'm giving you my whole life, God, my future, my now, my past. And I'm asking you to cleanse me, fill me with your life, with the life of Jesus, your son. Amen.